Welcome to the Drink Less, Live More podcast. If you are someone that is wanting to evaluate your relationship with alcohol, you've come to the right place. You don't have to call yourself anything. We don't have to use any labels. You're just someone that knows something isn't working for you and you want to make an intentional change. Let's go. Welcome back. I am talking about a somewhat controversial topic, maybe not to you as listeners, but you know, over the last three years, I have posted lots of TikToks and the very first TikTok that ever went viral was around AA. And it was really early on in my journey. And I was reading a lot of Quitlet and kind of just educating myself about what alcohol was doing to my body, which sounds really crazy since I have a master's degree in nursing. But I didn't know a lot of this stuff. And quite frankly, for the longest time, I really just thought I was a pretty normal drinker. And I really, whatever the word normal means, I really think I was a fairly normal drinker when I compared it to other people in our society. Like I had many times that I could just have one drink and stop. I had many times that I didn't drink. You know, there were like, it felt pretty normal to me. Uh, What I will say is when I drank every day for six months, it started to not feel normal to me anymore. And it started to scare me. And I will be the first one to admit that I can struggle with some perfectionism. So especially when it comes to myself, I can really critique things in a kind of harsh way. And so I have to always come back to that because sometimes things that I think are a problem for me, other people are like, why are you spending your time on that? But I've kind of come to the conclusion that if I think it's a problem or it's starting to scare me, I usually catch things pretty early on before they get out of control. And I think that's a real gift, you know? So when I was drinking every day for six months, I was starting to crave it earlier and earlier. I was thinking about alcohol a large portion of the day. Like, when is it acceptable for me to be able to drink now? Um, And it was just getting earlier and earlier. And that was really scary to me. So that was, you know, six months in. I had never felt that way before. I'd never felt like my drinking is really scaring me. And so that was really the catalyst or what I would consider my rock bottom. So before, you know, I had started reading and doing some of the quitlet, I was like, hey, I'm like sitting here up in my office and I'm like, maybe I'll just log into an AA meeting because that's all I've really known. You know, it's like there's this whole world, this whole kind of recovery community out there um, that I just didn't know much about. So, you know, I'd heard about AA. I'd heard about some of the principles of AA. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, like some of that stuff makes a lot of sense to me. I totally get that. Um, I think a lot of the principles are really truly about human growth, you know, like growing and developing and overcoming some of these challenges, getting rid of ego. I'll get back to that one because this is part that doesn't check out for me. Um, so I thought, okay, I'll log in. I don't know. I've told this story many times on the podcast, but so logged in, you know, I didn't have to show my face on camera. I just listened in and it was, I just, I'll never forget the experience. I felt more alone than I'd ever felt. I felt like I didn't belong listening to some of the conversations and stories that were going on. Um, I honestly 
felt like when I was listening to this, I'm like, I don't belong here. Not in a I'm better than anyone in this room or better than anything. I honestly felt like if I were to share my own drinking story and habits, I really just felt like I would be judged. And I didn't share. So that is a a projection. I do not know that that is true. So if anything, it made me think I don't belong here and maybe I don't have a problem. So I think this happens for a lot of people in that gray area space of drinking because their picture of what an alcoholic is or someone that goes to AA is not what they're experiencing. So this is in no way, shape, or form a bashing of AA. I know there have been many, many, many people that their lives, their families' lives have been saved by AA. So I would never discourage somebody from trying it. I will also say I only logged into one meeting. So maybe I could have found a group that I felt like I belonged in or felt like I could be open and share and, you know, all those things. Absolutely. I think that those those groups do exist that would have embraced me and I could have found that. I really wasn't interested in trying 15 different groups to find the, the best one. It's almost like trying therapists. Like it gets exhausting before you find somebody that really you connect with and you feel like you can build a relationship with um, in a you know therapeutic sense. So here are some of the things that I was kind of just bothered by as I started looking into AA a bit more. So, you know, Bill W. is the guy and, you know, he did this with a friend, I believe. And again, I am not an expert in this. So like, I do not know everything about AA. This is just my experience. So he created this, I think it was back in like the 1930s, uh, because he recognized that he was having, you know, some challenges with drinking. One of the primary things that he talks about is this idea of being humble or practicing humility. And it was pretty apparent to me when I was reading it. I'm like, oh, this dude had a huge ego, which quite frankly, what dude didn't have a huge ego in the 1930s? Like they thought they were king of the fucking world because they held down a job, even though they were drunk half the time in the evenings and never saw their families and treated their wives terribly, you know, all these things. So you know, of course, like, of course, they're going to have an ego. Why wouldn't they? Like our culture supported that gigantic ego. So that part of it didn't check out for me because that was not my problem. Like being more humble and, you know, dismantling my ego. I didn't have an ego. Like my, I mean, that's not true. Everybody has an ego. But do you know what I mean? Like I didn't have this giant ego of anything I probably needed to practice a little bit of arrogance. Like I was so hard on myself and have been my entire life. I mean, the internal narrative that goes on is quite frightening. She's gotten quieter. I've learned to put her in her place and to talk to her instead of trying to ignore her. But she still exists. You know, that little like devil on the shoulder that's telling you how terrible you are. So I was really in need of some self-compassion and some I think external compassion, you know, some empathy, some understanding. I didn't need to say that I was a piece of shit because I already felt that way. And so that did not check out with me. And I was like, oh, I could see why that could be a challenge for some men. But most of the women I know beat themselves up relentlessly. And that's not a problem, you know. So 
I'm not saying that there are not arrogant, ego-driven women. There absolutely are. But that was definitely not me. And so I was like, okay, I could see why maybe that could be a problem. And then we get into some of the, you know, more psychological things around codependency. And I started hearing stories from women about sort of like people preying on them in these environments because they know they're vulnerable. They are also codependent. So now they're going to latch on to someone that they know. It's almost like a prey situation. And I don't think anyone's doing this intentionally. I don't think they're sitting there thinking, oh, I'm going after her. I can pick that one off real fast. They're not doing that. They're just trying to survive through their own trauma and experience and all the things. So they're not intentionally, most people are not intentionally trying to do that. But I started hearing those stories from women. That post on TikTok, which I will put in the show notes, got so many polarizing comments from both ends. Like, I mean, I got some of the nastiest things ever about what a stupid bitch I am. And I don't know what I'm talking about and, you know, all these things. And then I got the other end of it where they're like, preach, girl. I feel this to my core. I have not been able to find a group that feels like it fits for me. So the other piece of it that I was looking through where I'm like, this whole idea of a higher power and that you're powerless. And I'm like, no. <laughs> for me personally, I was like, no. And I believe in a higher power. I just don't think that I have to only surrender to a higher power in order to do this. I actually do think that the higher power has given me a whole bunch of agency and empowerment. And like, I mean, whoever created me, whatever created me, I think actually created me to be empowered and to have agency over myself. I don't think that I was created to be a victim and I had to submit to something outside of myself. So that just never checked out for me either. So, you know, and I've had a lot of people that say I've been really harmed by churches and faith-based communities because of this, or I came out as gay and I wasn't received well. And I can see that. So why on earth would you submit to something that has felt like it has really harmed you? Now, that's the human version of a higher power. We've screwed it all up. But, you know, there is, I think, some opportunity to think about that as far as like, how are we really being inclusive here when we talk about an idea of God? Well, what if you don't believe there is a God or you don't believe there even is a higher power? So then what? Are those people just left out on their ass? Maybe the higher power is like a higher version of yourself. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I'm certain there's AA groups that address that and do talk about, you know, people that that don't um, believe that there's this higher power. Um, and how to address that. So totally get that. So those were some of the things that really just stood out to me. And all I'm thinking is, I know there's other women out there like me. At the time, I thought I was alone. But I started pretty quickly talking about it with people and people I felt safe with. And they're like, oh, yeah, I don't think my relationship's great with alcohol. Here's what I do. you know. And you're like, oh, OK, so I'm not alone. And I just kept thinking, my goodness, there's no space for someone like me. There just isn't. I don't know where else to go. My perception of AA, and it is a perception because I have not fully jumped in with both feet. So I want to be very clear about that. My perception of AA is like people sitting like in a sad, dark church basement with shitty coffee and stale donuts from the Sunday before 
talking about their lives being ruined with alcohol and crashing their cars and getting DUIs and being court mandated to be there. And I'm like, that just doesn't feel relatable to me at all. Now, if I talk to a woman who's like, oh, yeah, I have a pretty high pressure job. I've got a couple of kids. I'm managing all of their stuff. I'm managing a household. Plus, I have this job. Plus, I'm stressed out about my aging parents, you know, and they're like, well, I drink a bottle of wine at night or I open a bottle of wine most nights. I'm like, yeah, 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 I get it. Like, I'm on board with you. So that felt really relatable to me. Those were not the stories I was hearing at all. So I really think that like AA and just that whole entire like recovery community just needs a rebrand, like a refresh rebrand, because I do think there's a lot of misconceptions out there. And quite frankly, it's our responsibility as adults to check these things out, to be able to say, this is for me, this isn't for me. I really did not give it a fair enough shot. So I will say that off off the the bat. You know, I was kind of like horrified a bit <laughs> as I left um, or logged off. And I felt like maybe I don't have a problem. So I think there can be some harm there. If you have somebody that was in the space that I was in seeking help or wanting help, and not being able to find help and then also being reinforced that maybe they don't actually have a problem because they're already screwing with themselves inside of their own heads. You know, if I spent three days without alcohol, then I was like, well, yeah, maybe it's not really a problem. I feel fine now. You know, it's fine. So there's just, I think, a lot of challenges there. It can't be the only way, I think is my point. And it's also why I created what I did. I had all of these tools for growth and development and tools to get ourselves unstuck from challenges. And I wasn't using them on myself for this particular issue. I'd done it with so many other things. I challenged my own thoughts. I'd grown my emotional intelligence. I'd practiced self-compassion, but not with alcohol. That was like the thing I didn't want to go to. Like, And I, I really think I was intentionally doing that. I don't think I knew that at the time, but I was intentionally avoiding that subject because I knew it was going to be a big one. And I worked on other areas of my life. Like I worked with my relationship with food and, you know, I was just kind of like pulling from all these other things. This was the biggie. Like this was the big one that I felt like I really needed to jump in with both feet. So I don't want to discourage you from trying AA if you're listening. I also don't want to discourage you from trying multiple options uh, because I do think that like a therapist, you got to kiss a lot of frogs before you find the right one. Um, like alcohol free. I say this all the time. I've kissed a lot of frogs so I can tell you which ones are potential princes for, for, for you. Um, so I think there's just a lot of, of, you know, opportunity for some opening up of, of different ideas, maybe tailoring things more towards women, which is what I have done. And maybe making a space just for that gray area of drinking. You know, alcohol use is on a spectrum for sure. And could I have gotten to the point that I was not able to recover and I needed to never drink again? Absolutely. And I was scared of that. I mean, that scared me enough to do something about it when I was more in the gray area space. So... I want you just to seek out a community because what I will say that I think AA does is kind of creates like a little bit of a cult, like in a, like, I think for the most part, a good way. They're creating this thing of like, here's these rules. Here's these things we live by. Here's the values of this group. Um, 
I get that. You know, I mean, I think that there's power in that. I think there's power in having people you can reach out to that get it, but also will call you on your own shit because they think similarly. Um, but, you know, like for me, I don't identify as an addict. I personally don't think I am an addict as, you know, all the work I've done in the past three years, plus just reading about it. I'm like, I'm, that's not like at all what was going on for me. Um, do I think when I drank every day for six months that I was addicted to a substance? A hundred percent. But I don't think I'm an addict. So, you know, I don't know if that makes sense for all of you. I just, you know, like right now, I don't think about alcohol at all. I didn't even in the first, probably the first, you know, three months or so, I did think about alcohol, but not in a, oh my gosh, I want it. It was more just like a wow, that's so interesting that I really want to drink right now. I wonder why, you know? So it was more like an observation of myself. But like, I'm not waiting to get diagnosed with terminal cancer so then I can get drunk again. Like, I would never do that again. Like, I just don't, I don't know, it just doesn't sound appealing to me. I shouldn't say never. Right now, today, I don't want to do that ever again. So that is also another kind of segue into part of A that I think is really powerful and makes a lot of sense to me for any thing that we're trying to go through. And that is one day at a time. I get so many people that come to me and they're like, you know, what am I not going to have a glass of champagne when my daughter gets married? Am I going to go to the South of France and not taste wine? Am I going to, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, are you doing that tomorrow? Your daughter's four. I, you know, I don't think we need to really worry about that. And I am going to do an episode on future tripping that kind of jumps a little bit more into future tripping and how we can get ourselves out of that. But that's what we're doing. We're, we are truly looking into the future and sometimes literally decades ahead of the future and saying, well, I'm, am I really going to do that? Who cares? Like, we don't need to know that. It doesn't matter. All we know is that today you're not going to drink. And that feels really empowering. That also feels doable, you know, like the idea of forever is a lot. And I've had a lot of clients come to me, and this was my own experience when I said, this doesn't have to be forever. All I know is I'm going to take a break and I'm going to just see where it goes, you know, so let's just see where it goes. So I think there is a lot of opportunity there. I think, you know, the aspect of forgiveness, I think forgiving yourself is a huge component, which is where the self-compassion component comes in inside of my program. So I kind of created what I was experiencing, the tools I was using on myself, things that I was hearing other women say that they were struggling with that were also relatable to me. So I'm like, I kind of feel like these things could probably, across the spectrum of women, at least be relatable for us. So that is kind of my experience and why I created what I did and why I felt like AA just wasn't the right fit for me. And again, I would never discourage somebody from trying it, going after it, find a community wherever, whatever that may be. I think that is the powerful aspect of it. And then find a community that is aligned with your own struggles and values so it can offer you something different than maybe you can offer yourself. It is really hard to do anything this challenging or to really challenge societal norms without support. When you feel like you have that bit of an army behind you, it's like, oh, I got this now. 
Would I love to be the type of person that doesn't need the army behind me? Of course. I'm not there yet. (laughs) And notice how I said, yeah, because I do think that's possible. I see people move through the world in that way, but they are typically wise. They've lived longer. They've done a hell of a lot of work. So I'm still doing that work. You know, I I think that's what it's all about. I think I'll be doing that work until my beautiful little soul moves on to wherever it's going to go. So I hope you have a great week. I would highly encourage you to just check out a bit more about AA. I've been really interested reading about it. Something that I discovered, I think it was actually through Glennon Doyle's podcast. They had um, someone on that talked about psychedelics. And I'm really interested in just how that is unlocking so much for people when it comes to trauma and they're coming out of these guided, you know, experiences where they have a professional guiding them through, which is the only way I could do that. That would scare the hell out of me. Um, Have a professional kind of walking them through it. And they mentioned on there and I did briefly look it up. I can't say I've I've looked it up to a really aggressive extent, but the creator bill of AA was doing psychedelics. And that was part of his way of unlocking some of the trauma he had experienced so he could stay sober. But we have outlawed all of that. You know, like in the 1930s, that was like, yeah, sure, try that. Like, give, give that a whirl. Let's see what happens. And then we have criminalized it and outlawed it. So, you know, it's like now it's an illegal substance. And so kind of interesting that maybe there's some opportunity there and I'm following that work fairly closely. So there's a lot of uh, things to learn about, lots of things to dig into a little bit deeper. But I think the point of this podcast episode is really just to find what feels like home for you. And that might take a little bit of time. And that is okay. Just, you know, I, I, I sort of wish I didn't get so discouraged up front. But, you know, I also don't because I wouldn't have been doing what I'm doing now and helping other women and really expanding my entire business, to be honest. So I wouldn't have done any of that. So, you know, but it's like, yeah, I could see how somebody could log into one meeting and just never do it again. You know, and is that really fair, a fair assessment? Probably not. So I would encourage you to find your group, find your tribe, find your people. I talk about this all the time. It's a huge aspect to recovering from anything. And I wish you the best for the week I hope you meet all of your goals. And if you don't, cool. We just got some more information for our little experiment. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you can be reminded for my weekly Wednesday episodes. If you're curious about my programs and options of ways to work with me, check out rachelpritz.com. And if that's not interesting to you right now, no problem. Just keep listening along for free. Either way, I'm here for you. 